This dynamic message is brought to you by Redemption in Jesus with Marco Bravo. All right, so this morning we are going to continue with the series that we started last week. And so today it is part two. And here is the title of our series, Why Persevere Through Hardship? And this is part two. Now, one of the things that we all know is is that we will face trials and tribulations. We will face some form of hardship. We live in a fallen world, and therefore we will face hardships. Jesus said, in this world you will have these things. But remember, we looked at it last time, and He said, I am with you. I have the victory. So live through hardships on the basis of my victory is what Jesus said. Amen. So we already have victory in Jesus. We don't have to try and get the victory. We just simply need to apply and live in the confidence that the victory He has given us. Amen. And so we can live on that basis through hardship. But we need to persevere through those hardships. Because if we don't, they'll defeat us. They'll de- disappointment comes in. Discouragement comes in. So many people, sadly, in Christendom give up on faith, give up on Christianity, give up on believing and trusting God because they become disappointed. They don't understand why they go through the things they do. They think it's God doing it. And then you have all kinds of things like, well, you know, if God is so loving, He's so great, why doesn't He stop all of this? Well, He's given us freedom of choice. He's given us the ability to make choices. Someone makes a bad choice. We experience the consequence of that. Can we blame God? Sometimes we become victims of someone else's bad choice. But even through it all, because we live in a fallen world, but even through it all, we can persevere through hardships knowing that we will get through them. Amen. And so that's the heart of God. Now, just to refresh our minds, I want to show you a different source to the one last week as far as how persevere. The word persevere is defined. So here it is now from the New Oxford American Dictionary. Watch what it says. This is how it defines persevere. So this is what persevere means. Continue in a course of action, even in the face of difficulty, or with little or no prospect of success. So look at that real carefully. It is saying there that to persevere (laughs) means to continue in a course of action, no matter what you face, no matter what difficulty comes your way. That, you know, whether there's little prospect or no prospect, you will press through and you will persevere. That's what it's saying. And so that's what that means. So to persevere means to persist. It means to keep on going. It means to not give up. So, and that's the heart of God. And that's what we need to do when we go through hardship. You know, some of us face short-term hardships. Some people face long-term hardships. Some of us do. Some people face lifetime hardship, a form of hardship. But we need to persevere through that. You see, I can understand why some people question God, why some people feel disappointed toward God. And you know, we may not have all the answers, but we do know that we live, <clears throat> that we live in a fallen world. We know that we don't always understand everything, but God is faithful. And because He is faithful, we need to persevere through hardship. Amen. And so we all face hardship, but we need to persevere through it. Because if we don't, we will sadly be defeated by it. And we will, more suffering, more hardship will be added to us, to our soul, psychologically, because we give up. We let hardship have its way 
with us. We don't ever want to be in that place. Amen. Ultimately, I need to remind us that hardship is temporal. Ultimately, we win. Even if it's a lifetime of hardship, we eventually going to die and leave this earthly body. And then that hardship ends. Hardship doesn't follow us into heaven. It doesn't come with us into eternity. In eternity, we will experience the perfection that God intended for us before the fall and beyond. And so we will, there will be no hardship. He will wipe every tear. We will spend eternity. Now, eternity in comparison to a lifetime, short years. I mean, at the most, I mean, Scripture says 120 years that we could live up to the most. And so if you take 120 years in comparison to eternity, which has no number, cannot be counted. I mean, you agree with me that, you know, just one instant in eternity, not that you can say it that way, uh, because eternity is not a measure of time. But just being in eternity, the hardships we went through in this life won't even cross our minds. We won't even think about them. And so ultimately, we win. But hardships are temporal. They will not have their eternal, permanent, ongoing purpose or uh, effect in our lives. Amen. So we need to remember that. Now, this is why, as we saw last week too, is, is that we need to be anchored in the eternal. So when we face hardships, make sure your anchor is in eternity, in the eternal, in the invisible realm. Because victory will come from the invisible realm into the visible realm and you'll be able to persist through hardship. Because you know, this is ultimately going to end. This is not going to defeat me. This is not going to keep and stay with me forever. It is going to, it has an expiry date. And so you stay anchored in the eternal. Amen. And so the other thing is, is that God has given each of us the ability to believe. Every single human being that has existed, that is alive now, that will exist in the future, we exist for eternity, but every single human being is given the ability to believe. Scripture says He has given us the measure of faith. If your translation says a measure of faith, it's wrong. It's, it's incorrectly translated. It is the measure of faith. The King James gets it right and a few others. Most modern translations, unfortunately, make a mess of that. But He has given us the measure of faith. It is referring to Jesus, but more specifically, it is referring to the ability to believe. Because we all have the ability to believe. Amen. Just like we all have a body, just like we all know <laughs> that we are human, with that He's given us the ability to believe. And because He's given us the ability to believe, we can overcome hardship through believing, through faith, through belief. That's, that's one of the reasons why He's given us that ability. So we can believe, so we can, what we call faith. So we can use faith to believe God to change our circumstances and get us through that hardship. Amen. And we need to use it that way. But it is also through belief that we tap into God's power and ability to help us persevere and overcome hardship. That's why we need to put our faith and trust in God. Not only have our anchor in eternity, but also believe that God loves me. He is with me. His power and ability is made available to me so that I can overcome and get through this hardship. 
Amen. And that's the heart of God. Now, today, I want to talk to you about how we should view hardship. Because it's important. You know, you, your perspective defines how you're going to react or respond to something. And so, perspective is important. So, how we view hardship is so crucial. And God tells us how to view it. And I'm going to share that with you today. Because when we have a biblical view of hardship, or the view of God of hardship, it'll be a lot easier for us to persevere through it. Wouldn't you agree? Of course it would. Now, before I share that with you though, I need to take a little detour just to talk about commitment for a moment. And you'll see, I'm going to tie these together as we go. But I want to talk to you about commitment for a moment. Now, let me ask you a question. What is commitment? How would you define commitment? If I were to ask you, let's just say I knew absolutely nothing about commitment. And I came to you and I said to you, can you please define and explain to me what commitment means and what it looks like in practice? How would you define it? And how would you describe it? And give me an idea of what it looks like. I know that we all probably have different things that we say and different ways we illustrate it. But I think at the end of the day, there will be a commonality as far as what commitment is and what it means. So, let me show you, from, again, from the New Oxford American Dictionary, how it defines the word commitment. What commitment is. Look at this. Commitment is the state or quality of being dedicated to a cause, activity, and so forth. Look at that real carefully. So it's the state or quality of being dedicated to something. So when you are dedicated to something, you are committed to something. For example, I think of Helene and I. We are dedicated to our marriage. That means that we are committed to our marriage. We are dedicated to our daughter. And that means that we are committed to be her parents. We are committed to her as parents. And the same thing goes with church. We are dedicated to church and being your pastors. Therefore, we are committed to you. And so you can think of different things. But at the end of the day, when you look at that definition, you have to agree with me that everyone is committed to something. Let me share some examples that we're all familiar with here. Think about our loved ones. We're all committed to those we love because we're dedicated to them, right? Think about others who are committed to their career. I mean, they spend additional hours. It's on their mind the whole time. They do extra things when they don't need to because they're committed to their career. Others are committed to their health. I mean, some people just take super good care of their health more than the average person because they're committed to their health. Others are committed to their wealth. Their money is important and they invest it and they take care of it and they're real you know, frugal and careful on how they spend it. That's being committed to their wealth. Others are committed to different causes that they are passionate about. You know, the homeless. Um, the, uh, there's just so many things. I mean, the, those deprived in third world countries, they are committed to causes. They are those who are committed to different hobbies. Then, you know, we're committed to interests. Other people are committed to faith. They're committed to religion. And of course, 
we all committed to our relationship with God because we are dedicated to those things. So that's what it means to be committed to something. We are all committed to something. Whether it's, you know, like I was going to say earlier, you know, someone who has, for example, just a hobby in general, let's just say it's playing a game on computer, on their, on their game box or whatever, and they spend lots of time on it and they get to the score, you know, where it's they amongst the top 10 and so on, they committed to it. Now, you know, <laughs> I don't want to make anyone feel any different to anything. What I'm trying to say is, is that we all commit to something. Whatever we spend our time, whatever takes our focus, whatever we give a lot of ourselves to, that's a sign. That is what it, we are committed to, we are dedicated to. So we all understand what commitment is. And we all understand that we're all committed to something in one way or another, right? Now, what would you say in the context of that, in light of that? What would you say God is committed to? What is it that He's committed to? If I were to ask you, name me the top three things that God is committed to. What would you say? I'll give you a moment to think about that. Well, let me share with you what Scripture shows us that God is committed to. When you look at the broad picture and you look at all of Scripture, you cannot help yourself but to come to the conclusion that God is committed to these three things. And here they are. The first thing that he's committed to is his own glory. In other words, his, his honor, his name, his magnificence, who he is. He's committed to that. And he should be. And he is because he is God. It's not because he's on some kind of ego trip or he's got something to prove or he needs to let us know and everyone else know that he's God. He knows he's God. So it's not because he's trying to be braggadocious about it or anything. Because he is God, he is committed to his own glory. That's the first and foremost thing. The second, th well, let me show you the scripture. John 14 verse 13. Watch this. Jesus speaking here. And he says, and whatever you ask in my name, watch this, that I will do, says Jesus. Watch this now. That the Father may be glorified in the Son. That shows us right there that the first thing that God is committed to is to His own glory. Because He is God. Amen. The second thing that God is committed to is the salvation of humanity. In other words, I mean, when we think about what He did for us to redeem us, to save us, in and through Jesus, to make salvation available to us so we can receive it, he sent His Son to die on the cross, not just for us, but as us as well. He sent His Son to the cross to die and be punished by our sin and with the fullness of our sin, so we can be forgiven for all of our sin. I mean, that tells you that God is committed to the salvation of humanity. So even though humanity fell in and through Adam, God still made a way to redeem us and get us back in relationship with Him and get us back into His eternal family. Amen. So that's the second thing that God is committed to, is the salvation of humanity. The cross proves that. Look at this in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, 
as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, watch us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So in other words, because of free will, God has made salvation in Jesus available to all of us. And all it takes is us acknowledging and receiving that salvation, and then we are eternally saved. Amen. He's not going to force salvation on anyone, but He is committed to the salvation of humanity. That's why He sent His Son Jesus, and salvation is still available today. No matter how our society tries to write it off, cancel it, forget it, find other ways, there is redemption only in Jesus, because God is committed to the salvation of humanity. And then the third thing that God is committed to is His church. His people, those who have become part of His eternal family by receiving salvation in Jesus. Or the church is also known as His Son's bride, right? We are the bride of Christ. So He's committed to His bride. And so that's the third thing that God is committed to. Let me show you this in Matthew 16, verse 18. The words of Jesus here. And He says, And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, meaning the revelation that He is the Messiah, the Savior. And on this rock, He says, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. In other words, the strongest power that there is out there is not going to be able to do anything to prevent Him from building His church on the revelation of the finished work of the cross, of redemption in Jesus. So you can see from this that he is committed to his church, to his people. All right, so remember this now. We spoke about commitment and what it looks like. And here we see that God is committed to those three specific things. He's committed to his own glory. He's committed to the salvation of humanity. And he is committed to his church. That's his bigger picture. That is how Ultimately, he will see everything that happens on the earth and everything that happens in your life. Now, you may be saying at this time, okay, well, what does that have to do with persevering through hardship? Everything. Think about this. We need to remember that no matter what we go through, God is committed to us because he's committed to his own glory. He's committed to Redemption in Jesus, the salvation of humanity, and He's committed to His church. And we are a part of all that. So if He's committed to those three things, no matter what we go through, no matter what hardship we face, God is always to be going to get involved and engaged in what we're going through and help us get through it because He's committed to His own glory. He needs to get the glory. He wants to get the glory, because not because He needs it for His ego, because He's God. That's the nature of God. So He's committed to His glory. Therefore, He's going to help us you know, glorify Him in what we go through. Secondly, He's committed to the salvation of humanity. He'll make sure that salvation remains strong and solid for us throughout, through it all. Amen. And we know that we have it in Jesus. But also, thirdly, is, is that He is committed to his church, his people. Therefore, when you go through hardship, he's committed to you. He's always going to be there for you. Amen. And so 
What we need to realize and understand is, is that there is a difference in perspective. In other words, there's a difference how we see hardship and how God sees hardship. Or there may be a difference, but he doesn't want there to be a difference because he wants us to have the same view that he has of the hardships we go through. And you may say, well, how do I know if I have the view of God? Well, if you find yourself discouraged, disappointed, questioning and doubting God and, you know, in some ways throwing your toys out of the cot when something happens, that just means that you have your own view of the hardship you're going through. You don't necessarily have the view God has, and that's what He wants you to have. That's what we need to have so we can get through that hardship. Amen? That's what I'm saying there. In other words, we need to learn to understand, we need to see how we see hardships and how God sees them, and then line up our view to His view, because that will give us confidence, that will give us peace, that will give us strength, that will give us the ability to persevere through hardship and not let it change our hearts and our faith toward God. Amen. And so, what am I saying in all that? That God sees hardship. God sees the hardships we go through in the context of His bigger picture. I mean, you know, one of the ways that I can illustrate that to you is, is that if you and God were both artists and you were both painting on a canvas, a beautiful picture, well, your canvas will definitely be a lot smaller than his canvas. Isn't that so? His canvas has all of it, including your picture in it. His canvas is the universe. Our canvas is but just our life. And when we go through hardship, that's the picture. That's all we see. But God sees that plus the entire universe. And so, in many ways, we need to understand that God sees the hardships we go through in the context of His canvas, His bigger picture. You see, when we go through hardship, we see a clip of our life, a video clip, you could say, of our life. Whereas God sees our entire life, but more than that, He sees the entire universe all at the same time. And so that's why we need to adopt the view that God has. Now, we can't see the entire universe because we're still discovering it. <clears throat> but God wants us to have His bigger picture in mind so we can view our hardship the way He views it. Let me give you some illustrations to help us see what that looks like. Imagine that you ended up stranded in a forest and you need to find your way out. And you realize, okay, that's the direction that I need to go in. And you begin to travel that way. And as you go, <clears throat> you know yourself. If you're in a forest, you are not going to be able to walk a straight line because there's trees all over the place. So you're going to have to walk around some trees, depending on their size, but you're going to have to dodge them and move around them. Isn't that so? <clears throat> Otherwise, you're going to have an encounter with a tree trunk. So when you think about that, in the midst of our journey out of that forest, we see the individual trees that we need to get past. But God sees the entire forest. He sees the entire journey we need to take. 
He sees the exit and he sees the whole thing and the whole universe. Right? Another example, another way to illustrate it would be, is, you know, one of the things Helena loves to do whenever she gets the opportunity, um, she loves to just build jigsaw puzzles. And you know, the bigger, the better, the more challenging and the more she likes the challenge. And you know, she has her strategy of putting pieces that look like they could be part of something in one little container and then the other ones in this and then she begins to build a frame and she has a whole strategy, she has the tools that she needs. But when you think about building a jigsaw puzzle, all you focus on while you're building it is the next piece, the piece that you're trying to fit in the puzzle and figure out where it fits in. But then, when you think about it, God already sees the entire puzzle. He sees the entire picture completed. He knows exactly what it looks like. He knows exactly where every piece fits. And He must have joy just watching us trying to figure it out and putting it together. You see, that's the thing. When we face hardship, it is but our peace and our focus is on that. It may seem like, you know, I've got to get through this and this has just got me worked up and this and that. You have to understand, God sees the entire picture. He sees it all. We need to just trust Him and believe Him. And once we have His view, He'll help us build it, finish it, get out of that forest. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. I trust that that made sense as I'm sharing it with you. And so... When we learn to see hardship the way God sees it, we will be able to persevere through it better and easier. That's what I'm saying. It's a matter of perspective. We need to view hardship the way He sees it. I know that I keep saying that, but I want to make sure we understand it. You see, the thing is, is, is that no hardship contains the entire picture of our lives or our destiny or our purpose. And I know when we go through something, sometimes it feels that way. It feels like, is this what my life has come to? Does this define my life? Is this who I am now, going through a hardship? And God says, no, it's just but a puzzle piece. It's just but the next tree that you need to go around and get past because He sees the bigger picture. In other words, what God wants you and I to understand is, is that don't think that that hardship now defines who you are and defines what you are and defines the rest of your life. No, it doesn't. There is a bigger picture. And God wants you to focus on the fact that there is a bigger picture and He's going to get you through that. Amen. I know that it can be hard at, hard at times because some hardships are just so overwhelming. But we need to remember there's a bigger picture here. God has a bigger picture and He's going to get me through this. This is why it says what it says in Romans 8 verse 28. Let's read it from the King James first, and then we'll read it from the Passion Translation. It says, And we know, watch this, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called, who are the called according to His purpose. He's talking about those who receive salvation in Jesus. And he says, He will work all things out for their good. That includes hardships we face. And he says, He will work them out for His good. Why? Because he sees the bigger picture. That's in essence what that's telling us right there. In actual fact, the Passion Translation helps us get this even clearer and understand it even clearer. Let's look at it. It says, So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan. 
You see, hardship is not His plan. He didn't intend it for us. But because we live in a fallen world, He will take it and make it fit into His bigger picture that He has for us, that He has in general. Then it says, of bringing good into our lives. So He's always going to turn it into good. He's always going to make it, make it work out for our good and for our best, for our lives. For we are His lovers who have been called to fulfill His designed purpose. You see, ultimately, God has a bigger picture. And that bigger picture consists of three commitments. His own glory, the salvation of humanity, and His church. Therefore, whenever you go through hardship, it's not His plan. He didn't send that hardship your way, even though those who misquote what Job said as having God said it, which is not true. I mean, you think about Scripture. Scripture's correctly recorded, but it's not all truth about God. Well, let me put it this way. All of Scripture is truthfully recorded, but it's not all truth about God. Because Job, for example, when he went through the hardest of hardships, he said many things out of his own opinion, and it is truthfully recorded. But that doesn't mean because it's in there that it's truth about God. God puts it there so we can understand things like this. And so this is what I'm saying here. You know, God's hardship is never God's plan for us. But we know, He knows we live in a fallen world. He knows we're going to face it. And so what He does is when you and I go through it, He takes that hardship and He works it all out for our good in light of His bigger picture that He has for us and the bigger picture that He has in general. So ultimately, He's going to use that to glorify Himself. He's going to use it to make sure that salvation of humanity comes through it. And He's going to make sure that His church, His people are encouraged by it. Amen. You'll see that all of hardship always turns out that way when we trust God. And so God understands the hardships we face. But he also sees the bigger picture, as I said, and he makes those hardships fit into that bigger picture. Amen. So this is why we need to trust him. We need to persevere through hardship, believing that God will ultimately work it all out for our good because he understands the bigger picture. Or let me put it this way. We need to see the hardships we face in the light of God's bigger picture. And I'm going to give you examples of that in a moment. Okay? God will always work all things out for our good within the bigger picture of what He is committed to. And we know that He's committed to His glory, the salvation of humanity, and His church. So now, I'm going, today, I'm going to give you the first example of that. Watch carefully. We're going to read the whole thing. Okay? So just stay with me. And I know that we're familiar with it. But we're we going to read it in the context, in light of what I've shared with you today, because of the view that we need to have towards hardship. Remember, God is committed to three things. His own glory, the salvation of humanity, and His church. Now, every single time, I guarantee you, without fail, when you read and see people going through hardship in Scripture, you will see that those three things always come in play, because God is committed to those things. Therefore, Ultimately, He works all things out for their good. You will see that He's committed. You'll see His commitment to His glory in, in that account. You will see the salvation of humanity somehow comes into play in that account. And you will see that His church is always encouraged through that account. 
because that's how he's committed to us. He will get us through it. So let's have a look at our first example here from the book of Acts chapter 16. And we're going to read verses 16 to 40 from the New Living Translation. Just for time's sake, we're going to read it and I'm going to show you how the three commitments of God are revealed. They are there. And therefore, the people involved have that perspective in their hearts because God helped them understand and see that. And you will see how they persevere through hardship because they keep their eyes on the fact that God is a big picture God. He's a bigger picture God and He will work all things out for their good at the end because of His commitment to those three things. You are going to see that in this account and every other example I'm going to share with you that is going to encourage you. So let's read this. Now, this is the account of Paul and Silas. Okay, so look out and see, watch the hardship, and it's horrible, terrible hardship, but watch how they persevere through it, and you'll see God's commitment to His own glory, to the salvation of humanity, and to His church in the account. And you will see how, by Paul and Silas focusing on the bigger picture of God, they're able to persevere and get through it and praise God for His wonderful victory. So, let's read it. Acts chapter 16, starting with verse 16. It says, One day, as we were going down to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. In other words, a fortune-telling spirit. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. So, yeah, even though it was an evil spirit <laughs> driving her and causing her to tell fortune, uh, fortunes, you can see that it got even this right. It got right the fact that they were preaching gospel truth. So, verse 18, This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her. Now you know that fortune telling is demonic. To the demon within her. I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And instantly it left her. See, he cast out a demon. Watch this in verse 19. His master's hopes, her master's hopes, I'm sorry, of wealth were now shattered. See, they made money out of that. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. Look at this. Talk about hardship, right? Just doing the work of God here. The whole city is in an, in an uproar because of these Jews. They're lying there, but okay, they're exaggerating a little bit to beef up their cause. Watch this. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. Notice how they're trying to find every angle to disqualify them and cancel them. Watch this. Verse 22. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. These guys were just preaching, peacefully preaching the gospel and sharing the good news. And here, you, here they are. They cast out a demon out of someone because it kept pestering them. And... Here they are about to be beaten and stripped naked in front of this crowd. I mean, you think that's hardship? Yeah, it's hardship. Verse 23. They were severely beaten. So they weren't just beaten. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the jailer was ordered to make sure they didn't escape. 
So the jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. So he chained them to these things that were fixed on the ground and he put them in the darkest dungeon, probably the worst of the worst in the jail. You talk about hardship. This is hardship. Wouldn't you agree? Verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. What on earth would drive two people who were preaching the good news, thinking they were doing good, thinking they were helping by casting a demon out of someone because it was clearly, obviously, even though it was using them, it was tormenting them. And here they are, stripped naked in front of a crowd, beaten brutally, put in the deepest, darkest dungeon, chained all for no reason. They were just doing the work of God and talk about hardship. So then it says, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Most people will think these guys are delusional. They're in denial, but they were not. See, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, watch this, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. <laughs> oh my goodness. You talk about an awesome encounter right there. I mean, wouldn't you agree with me that at that point, God was glorified? Of course he was. I mean, every prisoner's chains fell off, the gates all opened, and they were free to go. And all this because these two were worshiping God in the midst of the most horrible hardship they were going through. Now, what would drive them to worship God like that? What would drive them to have that kind of attitude in the midst of hardship? Clearly, they understood there was a bigger picture. Clearly, they understood they weren't focused on, on what they were going through. They weren't focused on the hardship. They were focused on God's bigger picture. And the first thing that happens is, is that God is glorified. No one else could get the glory here but God so far. Now let's continue reading that account in verse 27. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped. So he drew his sword to kill himself because he knew he would get into trouble with his bosses because these prisoners escaped. So he was ready to commit suicide instead of being tortured. But Paul shouted to him, watch this, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here! <laughs> the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon. Look there, there was no light in the dungeon. It was pitch dark. And fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. You think God is glorified? Watch what's about to happen. Remember, God is committed to His own glory. What is the second thing He's committed to? The salvation of humanity. Watch what happens next. Then He brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Even at the hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. Then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought them into his house and set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Look at that. First we saw God being glorified. God's committed to His glory. Now we see salvation of humanity take place. The second thing God's committed to 
in the midst of hardship. And you see, Paul and Silas would not have been able to even lead them into salvation if all they were was focused on the hardship. You see, they knew there was a bigger picture. They knew that God is a bigger picture God. So they had the view God had of their hardship. And that's why they were able to persevere through it. Because they knew God is committed to His glory. God is committed to the salvation of humanity. So we're just going to get through this. And He's going to work all things out for our good. Because He sees beyond this hardship. Praise God. Amen. Then it goes on. Watch this. Now remember the third thing. God is committed to His church, His people. Watch this now. Verse 35. The next morning, the city officials sent to the police to tell the jailer, sent the police to tell the jailer, let those men go. So the jailer told Paul, the city officials have said, you and Silas are free to leave. Go in peace. But Paul replied, they have publicly beaten us without a trial and put us in prison. And we are Roman citizens. So now they want us to leave secretly? Certainly not. Let them come themselves to release us. You see, what they didn't realize was is that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. And as you know, Rome ruled in, at that time. And so to, for Jews to, or even Gentiles <laughs> to attack a Roman citizen was grievous. They would, themselves would be in trouble. And this is what Paul is pointing out here. So watch this now. I mean, think about it. Paul could have said in the beginning, we're Roman citizens. They would have left them alone. But yet... They went through that hardship because obviously the crowd was loud and no one was asking questions or giving them a chance to speak. Let's carry on reading. Verse 30. When the police reported this, the city officials were alarmed to learn that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. So they came to the jail and apologized to them. <laughs> then they brought them out and begged them to leave the city. Watch this. When Paul and Silas left the prison, they returned to the home of Lydia. There, watch us, they met the believers and encouraged them once more. Then they left town. Look at that. They went to the believers and they encouraged the believers once more. So here we see the third thing God is committed to, which is His church, His people. And these guys just went through the most horrible of hardships. And yet... They kept their eye on the bigger picture of God. They kept their eye on the fact that God has a bigger picture. Yeah, He's going to work all things out for our good. And they knew that God is committed to His glory. He's committed to the salvation of humanity. And He's committed to His church. And this is why they were able to persevere through that hardship. And you'll see how God fulfills His commitment and works all things, works all things out for their good ultimately. And you see, this is what I want to convey to us today in this session, in this part two. This is that the way we're going to persevere and get through hardship is by keeping our eye on God's bigger picture. That on the fact that God is a bigger picture God. That there is more to this. God is committed to those three things. And no matter what I go through, He's going to see to it that these three things happen. Because that's His commitment. Amen. I know that some of us have experienced, you know, the loss of a loved one. I have. I mean, in 2022, I lost my mom. But when I look at all of that, you know, the, the last moments she spent were not the most pleasant either. And, but we have to keep our eye on the fact that, you know, 
God is committed to His own glory. And when I think about looking back now, you know, even though it's sad for me to have lost my dear mother, ultimately God was glorified because so many people who would not have otherwise heard the gospel, heard the gospel when her memorial service took place around the world. And secondly, people receive salvation in Jesus. God's second commitment. And the church was exhorted as a result of that. I have personally shared wonderful things about that time and my mom that has encouraged you, that has built you up, it has built me up. So God has fulfilled His three commitments. You see, we don't always understand how things happen and why they happen. But I can guarantee you, ultimately, God's commitments are fulfilled and His bigger picture plays a role. Because, and that's how we need to see it. Amen. So Paul and Silas persevered through hardship because they understood God's bigger picture and what He is committed to. And we've seen those three things. I've just shown you one example. We're going to look at more. Uh, not today, but we are going to look at more. And you're going to see these, these dynamics play out. Paul and Silas didn't get discouraged or disappointed or give up because they understood that God would work all things out for their good ultimately because he has a bigger picture because he has his own commitment amen and that's the way you and i need to see it this is why i say to you hardship doesn't win ever <laughs> for eternity it will not and it does not amen and so ultimately based on everything that i've shared with you today that's what bigger picture people do when they are faced with hardship this is how they view hardship and i want you to know that it begins with me i mean yeah you know as a church we've been going through you could say hardship and you know sometimes we question we wonder and of course the best of them who've never planted a church never pastored a church have lots of advice for me they have the biggest ideas and sadly the people that support this work the least have the most to say the most to complain about but oftentimes people say you know how can this go on? Why, why are you willing to do this and do that? And at the end of the day, I have to view it the way God views it. He has a bigger picture. He, work, he will work all things out for our good as a church. And I know that He will. And it's the same thing for you in your life. Yes, I know you face hardships. God knows it. But don't focus on the hardship and just what you're going through and your, you know, your video clip of that, your clip of that, your snapshots of that. Don't focus on that. Focus on the fact that God has a bigger picture. He has His commitments and He will, he will fulfill them and you will get through, with, through it and He will work it out for your good. Guaranteed. Amen. I've seen that so many times in my life and I know that we're going to continue seeing it and that you are going to see it. Amen. Praise God. Praise God. He's an awesome God. We trust that you are blessed by this message. For more information about our ministry, or to make a donation to help us continue spreading the gospel, please visit our website at redemptioninjesus.com.